the more of that that you can spend the time to uncover before you pull the trigger on it and make that baby yours, the better prepared you're going to be to face what you're going to uncover at some point. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we will be speaking with Shannon Robnett. Shannon, how are you doing today? Good, Theo. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to our conversation. A little bit more about Shannon. He's a full-time real estate investor and developer with over 21 years of experience. His portfolio consists of office buildings, police departments, fire stations, city halls, subdivisions, residential, commercial, and industrial. He is based in Nampa, Idaho, and you can say hi to him at his website, which is Shannon Robnet. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-R-O-B-N-E-T-T dot com. So Shannon, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? Sure, Theo. 
I grew up in a real estate family. My mom is a third generation realtor. My son is a fifth generation. My father was a commercial builder. I was the kid that saw his first 1031 at probably 13 years old. Probably not appropriate for a child to see that, but but that was the kind of stuff that I saw growing up at the dinner table, the conversations that were had. And so as I grew up and I started trying to pursue things on my own, I saw where development was something that kind of came naturally because we had clients that were looking for buildings or clients that were looking for offices and they couldn't necessarily find what they wanted or there wasn't land available. So we would buy that, we would develop it, we would build the office, we would have some excess land to do another deal or two on. And that just kind of grew into what we do today. And through that process, we kind of involved a few partners here and a few partners there. And it just, as that began to grow, we quickly found ourselves with more deals than dollars. So we've stepped into the syndication process and are doing ground up syndications now all across the Treasure Valley. Thanks for sharing that. So you said that when you first got into development, it was because you actually had a customer that needed a property that did not exist. So is that still what you do today? You build based off of what someone else wants, or are you building and then selling to someone after it's already created? We do two things. We build for other people. So currently I'm building about 140 doors worth of apartments, some senior, some regular for customers. But we also have about 230 that we're doing for our own development where we build them, fill them, and then look to resell them based on market value. Which one is the majority of your business? The building for other people or then building and then selling afterwards? Well, in the last two years, our business has swung as our syndication has ability to syndicate product has gotten a little bit better we are now able to bring on more projects. And we've got about a thousand doors in our pipeline that will bring through our syndication program over the next year and a half that will all be ground up and will eventually phase out building for other people because it just won't be necessary. Got it. So let's focus on the building for yourself in a sense, the syndications. So what type of compensation is typically offered to people who invest? Because my background would be in the apartment vacations that are already built, five-year hold periods, preferred returns, profit splits. Is that the same way it works for development or are people who invest in development deals getting a different type of compensation structure? Well, Theo, if you think about that for a minute, when you're getting into the deal that you just described, you're trying to blend the person that is in their mid-30s, let's say, that is looking to grow their real estate value or grow their net worth. And you also have the gentleman or the woman that's in her late 60s, early 70s that wants to live off of the money that's coming in every month. And you're trying to blend those two and get those to fit into a scenario where you're giving enough on the cash on cash return to attract maybe the more well-heeled investor that has a little bit more cash to deal with. And yet you're also trying to get enough growth in there that is attractive to people that are trying to grow their net worth. In the ground-up development, we're different in a couple of ways because we're not necessarily chasing the forced depreciation. I think the market that we're looking at right now, a lot of people that were planning on forced depreciation are becoming very surprised in the fact that they're lucky to maintain the rents that they were getting prior to COVID. So forcing appreciation really isn't the thing that, that people are doing right now. 
And typically, you're trying to, to score an apartment that is at value or maybe a little bit under value, but there's things that you can do to bring it up to value. We're looking at something where by assembling the sticks and stones, we look at the appraised value, and there's typically between 20 and 30% difference between the cost to construct and the appraised value. The beautiful thing about an appraisal is it's an independent third party that's taken a good hard look at it and gone with historical fact on what rents are, not what you hope rents to be. So we're able to put together a project. We just broke ground on it two weeks ago that we had a cost to build all in of $5.3 million, our finished appraised value at rents from the appraisal that was done in December of 19 put the project's value at $6.3 million. So we could see that there was clearly some definite profits there. And then we just look at bringing that to a stabilized place. And then once we reach stabilization and we've achieved the goals of the syndication, then that project gets sold and we harvest there. So typical times, this particular one I just described is 36 units. That's about a 12 to 14 month period of time that our investors are involved. And the return on that will be mid-20s for that period of time. And most of our clients are using a self-directed IRA product so that they're bringing it right back into their IRA portfolio and not having to deal with the tax implications that come with not holding the project for three to five years. So your strategy is to confirm you build it, you stabilize it, and then you sell it. That's correct. Okay. So from my understanding, I thought that developers would typically build it and then sell it while it was vacant. Am I wrong there? Or do people also do that? And you just do this strategy because you're able to make more money from it that way? Yeah. When you look at it, Theo, I think there's money to be made in the ground. The guy that sold me the ground, he made some money. Building the buildings makes some money. Filling the buildings makes some money. I just see that taking it from the raw ground to the stabilized product where you're able to sell it on a cap rate, you're able to maximize the dollars that go into it. So you could build it and sell it during construction. I do get offers all the time on product that's underway, but it's hard to convince someone that it's going to rent for this. So the easiest thing to do is to prove the rents and then somebody can step in just like somebody can buy a value add project. They can buy this one. It's brand new. They can pay top dollar for it. They can know that for 10 years or 12 years, they're not going to have repairs to be done to it. Brand new roof, brand new air conditioning systems, all of those things. So it makes it a different kind of an investor that buys that. And they tend to pay a little bit more for that. Once the property is actually built, who is responsible for stabilizing it? Do you have your own in-house management company or is there a third party you partner with and then based off of your answer, why do you choose one over the other? Well, we do all of our own in-house management. And the reason that we do that is because, as you know, cap rates are what rule the game on industrial and multifamily properties. In fact, when I started out, I had another property management company that was a friend of a friend. And they did such a horrible job. So I went out and I hired the guy that I knew that was the best at it. And the very first thing that he told me was we need to make this about a choice. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, there's four other complexes right around yours that are brand new. He said, we need to make this about a $35 choice where we are $35 more than the guy next door. That's a couple of cups of Starbucks coffee. But when people will make the choice to rent with you, 
regardless of that $35, they'll stay longer, they'll be better tenants because there's something about your particular complex that they like better than the others. Well, that has proven itself to be very, very true. So we have a lower turnover rate, but you also look at that and you take that on the complex that he started with me on, it was 180 units. Getting $35 a door more than the competition put our value on that particular project alone at the same cap rate as the project next door at a million seven more just because of that one piece of advice. So Jeff has done a lot to help us grow that because we have control of that. We're not necessarily offering the concessions that the guy next door is to rapidly fill because we're managing an asset for the sales price that's tied to the cap rate based on the NOI. Okay, so I understand the calculation, same cap rate, greater the NOI, the greater the value of the property. And you also mentioned the benefits of having that higher cost. But my question is, what specifically is your management company doing in order to demand that extra rent compared to what the competition is doing? Is it just a higher quality product? Do you offer different amenities? What types of things differentiate your property from the competitors that allow you to get that premium rent? Well, the thing that we start with is your experience the minute you come to our properties. We interview our personnel to make sure that they have the type of personality we want. We want somebody that's warm and inviting, professional, follows up to the point that you're not wondering where the property management company was on getting back to you on the results of your application or anything like that. So we tend to hire a better quality of staff so that your experience once you come to our property is to know that we're all about property management. We're not doing it as some function of, well, this is what we have to do, but we go after a certain personality to make sure that that experience is awesome. And as you know, everybody builds a different product for a different reason because they feel that that's the best. Just like cars, not everybody's going to pick the same car, but what we're looking at is maybe we're closer to your job or maybe we're closer to your grocery store of choice or your gym or your church. There's a lot of reasons why people pick apartment complexes, and it has a lot to do with the experience that they have and what they feel is the amenity mix that they're looking for. So we just go out of our way to make that the best customer experience that they can have. And I think it shows. We have better reviews than the surrounding properties on our stuff. We tend to make sure, especially with what's going on with the world right now, that our tenants feel like they're our customers. We're really working with them to get through this time. They're not just a number of somebody that can be evicted and we can go on to what's next. It's not the right experience to give them. My second part of that question was, it says 12 to 14 months is kind of a typical hold period. So do you mind breaking down that from raw land to when it's completed, to when it's completed, to when it's stabilized, from when it's stabilized to when it's sold? How long do each of those stages take? The current project we were discussing is a 36-unit ground up. We've got another one that's a 200-unit that'll take about two and a half years. But it takes about six months to build a 12-plex. So we started that project. We'll begin to tenantize those as soon as the buildings are done individually. So we will start bringing tenants into that environment in about seven and a half months, eight months, nine months, 10 months. We'll probably reach 95% occupancy on that 36-unit project. We'll give it a couple of months so that if someone wants agency debt, you can now get the 221-D4 program done with 90 days of occupancy over 90%. So we'll season it for that period of time so that it's available for the optimum financing. 
and we want to make sure we close out at least a full three quarters of bookkeeping so that we've got enough records there that are in a sense bankable. So that's the process. And we'll give it three to six months of stabilization as we take it to market so that by the time the transaction is closed, it's usually been stabilized for about nine months. So nine months to build, goes under contract in three to five months, and then it's closed usually by month 15 or 18. And then the people who are investing, do they start getting paid once it's built, once it's stabilized, or once it's sold? The way that we do that is it's just about a payment when it's sold. So they are getting an 8% pref in this particular case, and then they're getting a rather large percentage of the profits at the point that it's sold. So with a guaranteed GMAX on the contractor side, it's pretty easy to see how that comes out. And then if we're able to get higher than projected rents, then obviously they get higher than projected returns. And then last question before the money question, what is your process for selling these in the back end? Do you have like a preferred broker you use? And then at what point in the process do you typically have that buyer? And I guess what I mean is when do you start seeing interest in the property? And then when do you start actually taking action against that interest? Because you already mentioned that people start expressing interest while it's being built. So are those people put on a list and then you mail it out to that list of everyone who's expressed interest? How does that process work? You've seen that happen quite a bit where you do the call for offers. We don't really do that, but we do market it. Once we have reached stabilization, so once we have filled 90% of the units and we know what our exact red calculation is, and then we can get into the nitty gritty of what our NOI is going to be. Once we have that, then we can put out a number that nobody needs to be disputing. And then at that point, we will contact all the brokers in our area. We'll contact a couple of national brokers, let them know what we have, and then just see what happens there. That usually only takes about two and a half weeks to put that property under contract because they're brand new. They come tenantized. There's not a lot of risk to it. So at that point, we're able to usually attract some really good offers on them. Okay, Shannon, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Do your due diligence. Know what you're getting into long before you get into it because once you're in it, you're creating solutions to maybe get out of it or not lose or whatever. But the more time you spend on your due diligence, the better prepared you're going to be because it doesn't matter what deal I've ever done. There's always something in it that wasn't anticipated. So the more of that that you can spend the time to uncover before you pull the trigger on it and make that baby yours, the better prepared you're going to be to face what you're going to uncover at some point. All righty. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J-A-K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com. Okay, Shannon, what is the best ever book you've recently read? Never Split the Difference with Chris Voss was when I just finished, and it was excellent. I haven't had the chance to use the principles, but it was an excellent book. I look forward to it. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? Build it again. 
I build things. So for me, starting over wouldn't be the end of the world. You just put one foot in front of the other and get started. If you don't mind, could you tell us about a time that you lost money on a deal? How much you lost and then what lessons you learned? Well, if you've been in this game for very long, you will definitely encounter that. I had a deal that I did. It was a two warehouse deal put together and I had pre-sold it. I did one of those things that we talked about in the show where I pre-sold it to a guy at a certain price and it took about five months longer than I had anticipated to build it. The tenants wanted some other things. I wasn't keeping a microscope on the cost and yet I already had a fixed price on the other end. It did really well for the investor because he was able to get a much higher rent out of his tenant because of the things that I did because I wasn't watching the costs on that. And then when I sold it, my price was fixed and I lost about $200,000 on that particular deal. It was really hard to walk away from closing after doing all the work, building a couple of buildings, getting all the tenants in there and knowing for about the last two months that this was happening, that I was going to lose 200 grand. And then the opposite end of the spectrum, tell us about the best deal you've ever done. And that could be best in regards to money or, or something else. It's kind of hard to beat. I think the very first deal I ever did was one of the best. I think it has a lot to do with the nostalgia because it was my first real estate deal. I was working on a job and I was talking to my crane operator on the job and he was looking for a place to put his cranes and everything and he needed a yard and he was looking for something maybe with an old house on it that he could create an office out of. And the little old lady next door and her son came to me and said, hey, you don't know anybody that would want to buy our three acres here in our house. And I thought, gee, this is perfect. So I was 20 years old at the time and I wrote an earnest money check that wasn't my last $500 deal. It was my only $500. I was newly married. I had no money. I wrote this check. I knew that it wasn't going to bounce, but I knew I wasn't going to have anything left. But three months later, when I closed that deal, I bought the place from the lady the same day that I sold it to the crane operator. So I never took possession of the property. And that 500 bucks made me 80 grand in 1996. That was a lot of money. And one of the best returns I've made on a $500 investment. Wow. What is the best ever way you'd like to give back? I like to be involved with organizations that help people. I know that when we get done with our projects and we have leftover building materials, I love to get involved with Habitat for Humanity on that stuff. We also make sure that we make it a point to be involved with our communities as far as special programs that we can be helpful to kids in mentorship programs because I know there's a lot of kids that need mentors and they are our future. So we're always looking to partner with programs that allow us to bring what we know and bring that into a mentorship program with adolescents in our area. And then lastly, what's the best ever place to reach you? ShannonRobNet.com. It's the easiest thing for me to remember also. So if you just go there, all my links are there. You can find me on social media and all that other stuff. But ShannonRobNet.com is where I hide. Perfect. Well, Shannon, thanks for joining us today and giving us your best ever advice on real estate as well as more specifically on development. So you started off by breaking it down into the two different types of deals you've done. The first is where you actually build a development for someone else. So you already know what they want, you build it for them, got a buyer already. And then what you focus on now, which is to build and then resell after stabilization using the syndication model. So you also mentioned the two types of investors, the one who invests growth 
and the other one who invests for cash flow. And you mentioned one of the reasons why you really like development is because you don't need to rely on the forced appreciation, which relies on assumption of rental growth in the future, whereas your money is made by the difference between the cost to construct and the appraised value being about 20 to 30%, and that that appraised value is based off of what rents actually are. You mentioned that instead of actually selling once it's built, you will stabilize the product first, get it up to 90% occupancy, you'll wait 90 days, so you exit that window of having 90 plus percent occupancy for 90 days in order for the end buyer to get optimum financing, You also mentioned that a lot of your investors use a self-directed IRA. You talked about your reasoning behind having in-house management company as opposed to a third party. First of all, because if you try the third party and they do a very good job, you ended up hiring someone who you knew was really good. And because it's in-house, you can focus more on the customer and your management company is not just a part of your business you kind of ignore, but it's kind of the central portion of how you're able to make money because you like to charge $35 more than the competition because you'll get better residents who end up staying longer as well as a greater value at the same cap rate. And you do this by making sure you hire the right people, have a warm and inviting personality that always follows up and just gives the resident a really good experience. We also kind of talked about the location and making sure it's close to different amenities they want as well as making sure you have the proper amenity mix at the actual property. You told us about your sales process, which is another reason why you like to stabilize because you have a proven NOI, which allows you to get a proven sales price. You don't have to worry about people coming in and saying, well, I think it should be this. Like, no, no it's this because I've proven this to be the case. And you contact brokers locally and nationally, and you said you're usually under contract within two weeks, I believe you said. And then your best ever advice was to make sure you are spending enough time doing your due diligence ahead of time. That way you're prepared for when things ultimately don't go according to plan. So Shannon, thanks again for joining us. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks again.